0: Can you read my lips? Can you? You've seen it now, haven't you? I can come in anytime I want, and I can get you anytime I want. But I'm not going to. Not until it's time. When you wish you're dead, that's when I'll come inside. Do you understand me? Nod your head if you understand me. Good. Then we can have some fun. we have to No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God.
1: Listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Fear of God podcast. Here we find the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. Welcome to The Fear of God. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Uh, Typically with me is just long-time chum, all-around great pal Reed Lackey, but he he was here a minute ago, and and he kind of had this moment of recognition that was real sudden and abrupt, and he, he said something about needing to go get his crossbow. Out of the bathroom, so you know I I, I, I didn't even know Reed owned a crossbow. You know, it's it's like a, I'm, I mean, I'm the bigger Star Wars fan. This is a Chewbacca reference. I I don't really get it. And more more than that, like why is it in the bathroom? That all, all questions that will hopefully be answered upon his return. In the meantime, um, one welcome to the show. Uh, if you've been with us for two years, thank you. You're amazing. If you're just with us afresh today, thank you. You're amazing too. Um, we would ask that if you've been with us two years and haven't, if you're new to us today and like what you hear, uh, go to iTunes, leave us a hopefully glowing rating and or uh, uh, an amazing review we do so enjoy those things and hey you know we're starting to feature these things on our instagram which you can listen to our social media cues at the end of the episode to figure out how to find us on instagram maybe you will be featured on instagram with your review i would love to make that happen for you read hey buddy hello hey you you. whoa that thing is
1: that's intimidating <laughs> your crossbow oh oh i know what's intimidating brother i i know i know and i appreciate it thank you yes it is i'm quite i'm quite proud of my crossbow i am even more proud of its distance and it's uh it's load time i did not i did not
2: mean to walk us into an innuendo that (laughs) trust me I know when I mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it this time. I was trying to make a movie reference, and it turned into I'm a just, big old I'm fat innuendo. I'm just letting innuendo. you know.
1: Listeners don't believe you. I'm just letting you know right now. They don't believe you. Like, what do you mean? No, no. What do you mean, Nathan, didn't mean to walk it. you into an innuendo? What do you mean? No. Oh, my gosh. My reputation precedes me. Nathan yes. has got an innuendo cabin out in the woods where he sits and writes all the innuendo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no really that's just going about my daily business that, that's really <laughs> there, it, there's no intentional space where that has to happen it's just a that's just, it's a, just a natural sort of thing i understand um i, I had a, i had a friend one time comment to me about we we don't talk anymore so i guess we weren't <laughs> that close but um <laughs> he commented uh he, he sort of suggested i was i'd you know the innuendo thing and i was like man i just i i don't i just walk you up to the ledge like i don't I let you
1: jump off. It's your fault. It's really, it's your fault. Like, Hey, I'm just the Rorschach test for your dirty mind. Okay. All I do is hold up the ink blots and you think, get it. Exactly. Can I tell you, can I tell you a joke? So, there's, so this is an old Red Fox joke. Most of his jokes are not. Yeah, most of his jokes are really blue. They're very dirty. This, one, this one's palatable. So, but Red Fox told this joke about this kid who was having some issues, and, and he uh, went to a, a therapist, and the therapist held up the Rorschach test, you know, the ink blots. She said, okay, tell me what you see. Holds up the first one. He's like, oh, I see a naked woman. And she's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so then she, she hol- holds up a second one, and he's like, what do you see here? Is it, I see two naked women. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, what, <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> <And so> he, <laughs> Welcome to the fear of God, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and he holds up a third one. He's like, I see, I see a bunch of naked women. And, she, and so the therapist puts the cards down. He's like, man, you have got a fixation on sex. And he said, me with the fixation? Who drew all the dirty pictures? <laughs> I just think it's funny I
2: just like you know what the last two minutes three minutes is a perfect microcosm of not just the fear of God's interaction but the Reed and Nathan friendship is like <laughs> I unintentionally just I guess because I do it so much intentionally make you know innuendo humor and you 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 tell us. You regale us with fifty-year-old, you know, joke <laughs> jokes from Red Fox. You know, <laughs> you get, boy, I heard this great joke from Otz. <laughs> like,
0: oh man! I was
2: watching the I was
1: watching the Smothers Brothers the other day, and oh my goodness! Oh my
0: god! The Smothers Brothers! Oh my
1: god! Just, oh man, did you did you catch that honeymooners episode on MeTV the other night? my <laughs> god!
2: <laughs> oh my lord people who see people read people who don't know you and have never actually met you don't actually know that you are seventy years old
1: <laughs> oh, my god. i have the i have the heart of a seventy year old man and I'm getting the face for it too oh my god that's <laughs> <laughs> hysterical boy
2: you got the constitution of one. Yeah, oh
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Was that a poop club reference? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> some kind of club. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Holy cow. Welcome we to the fear started. of God, everybody. Hi. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh-wee.
2: Ooh. Flannel graph flanagans off to a good start. This, we're
1: getting into some, some flanaganigans. <laughs> <laughs> flannel graph shenanigans. Oh, man. Oh, my so, goodness. Well, hi, buddy. It's really great. Hey. As, you, as listeners can probably tell. Ooh. I am terribly excited to be having this conversation tonight. I presume you are as well. Um, and so, yeah. The uh, uh, but we are we are tagging <laughs> we are tagging back in with all with a bevy of things. We've got a whole lineup of things that we're going to talk about. Not the least of which, and the bulk of this conversation is going to be centered around our next installment in Flannel Graph Flanagan, which we are very very excited to uh, share with you. But before we get into all of that priorities here okay so before we get on into all of that i have got to ask you a question please i'm here i'm ready and i'm hoping you understand the way that i asked the question because maybe you won't uh-oh what you watching reading listening and watching and reading and watching and reading listening to boop boop
2: is this another 50 no. year old reference
1: <laughs> it actually is it's the <laughs> It's the, it's the, <laughs> I'm telling you guys, Reed the, really is 70. It's the theme song to the Dick Van Dyke Show. So there's, <laughs> so, so there's that. But I was like, yeah. but you know what? We've got some people. You know, my father-in-law is really going to appreciate that. So shout out, Ned. I'm What's just up, trying Ned? to. I'm just trying to win you back. Okay, I'm just wow. trying to win you back. Wow, wow. All right.
2: Um, what am I watching, <laughs> reading, and listening to? Goodness gracious. Um, I think that's what you just asked me. But it is. It um, is. a few things, buddy really things. okay um one i feel like there's there's two we should touch on kind of mutually here oh nice okay. um one is reed i don't know if you saw but the trailer for one stranger things part three released oh indeed i did and um you know uh, listeners to our podcast will know our divergent feelings on part two of said series but i am affectionate generally towards the ip that is stranger things i do not care for uh season two this trailer looked great i mean really i'm on like this is i'm 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 in on the idea of stranger things and hawkins and the kids and the summer that is um i mean the, the trailer looks great it really does it's well crafted it really injects some much-needed fun into the proceedings again, it looks like. So, you know, I am not – I'll put it this way. I'm not coming uh, guarded – to stranger things three i'm
1: I'm okay all right
2: open i'm open to receive some goodness and that's what i'm hoping happens
1: that i i mean i as you know was was much more fond of season two um and and in fact have discovered that i was much more fond of elements that not only you but that most people were not fond of like i i i kind of like and appreciate although i have some issues with it I have come to really like and appreciate that that outlier episode that nobody likes there's some things about get that out of
2: here Reed no Lacky. there's some Listen things about it you. that I've,
1: no there's some things about it that I've come to really appreciate particularly certain moments and and certain things that it's going for but um, regardless of that that stranger things tr- 3 trailer holy cow like it's just so well constructed it it does a lot that it needs to do in terms of like build anticipation and uh yeah it's very very exciting it's i'm i'm super thrilled for stranger things tr- 3
2: yeah it definitely looks like a lot of fun i am on board the hawkins train another one that we'll just touch on here um that i know you've seen as well but we're going to deal more in depth on uh, in the latter part of the month of April, and that is the new Jordan Peele film "Us." Indeed, um, I did go see that the other night, and I'll say this for Mr. Peele—he knows how to craft a film. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's oh yeah, it, it, the, the the visuals are amazing, the performances are amazing. He's he's here, and he's making competent, smart films, and I'm I'm
1: I'm here for it. Absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more. I I was, yeah, we'll get we'll get more. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll get more in depth in that um, here rather shortly. But um, but yeah, I was I was very taken with us. I'll I'll save most most of my concrete thoughts for when we actually discuss it for an episode. But yeah, it it was very very. uh, I was very taken with it. I liked it quite a bit. What's something you got? What's on your docket? Okay, so there is a show that I have. I think I have mentioned it before on the podcast uh, when it had its first season. I can't remember, A, I can't even remember if I formally mentioned it. If I did, I would have mentioned it kind of in passing and thought that it was kind of fun. Um, Season two of Fox's The Orville has hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So The Orville, for those who may not know, is, so Seth MacFarlane, creator of Family Guy and American Dad, and um, he's done a few films. Uh, I think his most popular, straightforward film was Ted, the uh, the talking teddy bear one. Um, God, I I, that movie. Yeah, I've I've gone back and forth a lot. To be honest with you, I've never been a very big fan of his creative output. In general, there there might be a couple of things that I kind of like, oh, you know, that's okay. I kind of like that a little bit, but never really get very excited about it. Well, he in in his personal life is a very very avid Star Trek fan, and has always wanted to participate in a Star Trek show, but he is a very influential figure at Fox. Uh, Fox has, now with all of his successful shows that he's done pretty much exclusively through them, he's garnered a lot of, of collateral to get things done. Well, he created the Orville, which is, on its surface, a parody of a Star Trek show. So it has all of the trappings, all of the appearance of, all of the story structure of a Star Trek show. But it's not Star Trek. There's, there's lots of little subtle differences, but it is essentially a Star Trek show. And the first season was pretty much a lot of silly parody with occasional dabblings into some broader subject. Dude, season two, which I flippin' love and want everybody to go and check out, has crossed over into legitimate, authentic, moving, provocative science fiction. I was Hmm. stunned. I was absolutely stunned. Now, if somebody is hearing me say that, and then they go, this is going to sound silly, they go and watch like the first two episodes, they'll be like, Reed's lost his mind. This is stupid. Because the first two episodes are very much like the first season, where they're like just silly, parody. I could see somebody watching them and be like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to keep watching the show. So I'm going to give you a recommendation. Specifically, there was a two-part episode called Identity, and then it was followed by an episode called Lasting Impressions. This is season
2: the, one or two or what? This
1: is in season two. And the two-part episode, Identity, and the follow-up episode called Lasting Impressions, Nathan, they are outstanding. They are, they are just stunning. The, they were written by Star Trek veterans, and they extend beyond the realm of simply satire and parody. They right. are compelling, moving science fiction shows. Lasting Impressions, I would put among on the same shelf as some of the most moving. Uh, i, I got to tell you the premise of Lasting Impressions. The premise of Lasting Impressions is they find a time capsule from 2015, and in this time capsule is an iPhone, and the iPhone belonged to this girl, and the girl like uploaded videos of herself. It's got all her texts and everything like that. Well, one of the crew members becomes kind of fascinated. She's a very attractive girl. And he becomes sort of like fascinated in his mind with her. So he has the computer in their version of the holodeck. He has the computer basically upload all of the information, and and basically is like create for me a simulation of her world so that I can go into it and meet her. And I won't share all the ins and outs of the episodes, but that that's the premise. But but it is it becomes this kind of I, I won't call it a meditation. The show's not quite that that uh, cerebral, but it becomes this exploration, <laughs> no pun intended, of the, the fragility of love and the fragility of relationships and, most specifically, the ways in which subtle differences from one relationship to the next can have huge ramifications. And there's a line in it that literally had me tear up. Um, and again, it, it's more substanced by the episode, but there's a line in it where somebody is trying to kind of comfort this crew member who has who has basically fallen in love with a fiction a fabrication right right and she, she's trying to comfort him and she says this person reached across four centuries and made someone fall in love we should all be so rare and i was like oh man that's a lovely wow. that's a lovely sentiment you know and i didn't sure. expect that in freaking seth MacFarlane's the orville you know like it's right it, it's just it has kind of come into its own the reason i'm pushing so hard for people to check it out and to go watch it on demand and stuff like that is because it's on this cusp of renewal and cancellation right now. It's one of those where it's like, it's not doing so poorly that it's an obvious cancellation, but it's also not doing so great that it's an obvious renewal. So I really am kind of trying to get the word out, like, hey, go check out the Orville. It's worth checking out, Uh, particularly those episodes I named. I do not think you will regret it. It's, It's very impressive this season.
2: So, um... You, you Fox executives who are listening, Reed has done his due diligence and he did what he was supposed to. You can go ahead and forward him his stipend. Okay. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm with you. Like, I, I actually don't generally enjoy the creative output of Seth MacFarlane, but he's insanely talented and I will not take really that away is. from him. And yeah. I mean, he did like a. A um, uh, uh, a music album like of him singing and the stuff. Did you know this?
1: Really? No, I didn't. Yeah, no, I yeah. Didn't he's this.
2: apparently a, a a
1: rather accomplished um singer. So yeah, he's. It's difficult to deny his talent, and I was all the more impressed when, like, I watched that two parter identity because part two of that episode he scripted himself, and it's very affecting. It's it's a really uh yeah. That two-part identity episode is harrowing and it is on par with uh most science fiction movies I've seen. Like it's yeah, it's it's really great. I liked it quite a bit. So, uh I guess that concludes yet another installment of uh watching, reading, listenin', and listening watchin', and watching readin', and reading and watching, reading, and readin', listening to. There it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it
2: was. Reed, did we figure out the tune to TV Guideposts? Do you want to? No, did you intone something there? You know, I actually thought about it, and I did not go look up to see if there was a TV Guideposts. Well, tune. way
1: to do your homework, Nathan.
2: I I got a lot of homework just across <laughs> multiple across multiple disciplines. <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, so, I didn't either, th- so I don't know. That's all right. That's all right. Um, you rarely do the things I ask. But, um, oh, my <clears> gosh. <throat> zing, zing, zing. Um, so, yeah, we're going to jump back into TV guideposts. And um, for those of you listening along at home, you, I mean, welcome back to this series. We are in the middle. Uh, we, we're in the penultimate flannel graph Flanagan. Um, there are more we could have done. We did one of his last year. Was Oculus in 2018? I can't remember. Yeah, I believe it was last year. And have done a a three-film series run here with Gerald's Game, Before I Wake. We will be discussing Hush today, but all of this has been backdropped by our ongoing, as we lovingly refer to them, TV Guideposts series of um, the Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix. Um, Today, we are getting into episode nine, and... Again, if you're new to this segment, um, we kind of do a touch and go on some likes, dislikes, and scares of these episodes. We will, if you're following along at home, next week we will be doing a full Fear of God podcast episode covering not just the content of episode 10 of Hill House, but our thematic and sort of general emotions attached to the <laughs> the, the experience of the haunting of hill house read I, I, one i just want to um applaud us i feel like oh, this i like applause. way we do what i like applause yeah i do, I do too um <laughs> i had someone tell me recently um that they appreciated the therapy I was providing for them. I was giving some some counsel to a buddy recently, and yeah. and I was like, you know, I've actually thought about going into that field, but just the audience isn't big enough, <laughs> 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 which is really awesome when you make a helping field all about yourself. That's um, very true. Anyway, so yes, what I was going to applaud us on is, dude, can, do you how dumb do we feel? For trying to at all tackle TV shows before the way we've done Hill House,
1: I know. Yeah, exactly. It's because it's so daunting, you know. And I remember the days of like Stranger Things one and two. Like, oh my gosh, how do we get all of our thoughts on every episode into a thing? And it's yeah, it's so massive. We had to like split the episodes, and it was yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, well, I'm, and I'm just, just trying to... to
2: just trying to stuff all of that into one conversation was yeah. asinine. Yeah, and
1: other adjectives
2: um nonetheless i think what i'm doing right now is trying to prattle because i'm afraid i'm gonna cry here in just a second okay um right. so i'm just you know i'm, I'm just, here with you i'm here okay with you. you're um, you're like there you're like um, reached yes. across four generations and made me fall in love <laughs> with you and how rare that is you know yes um true. that was close so okay. we are discussing episode nine titled screaming Mimi's. uh this is you know, we, we've, the first four episodes, more or less, uh, first five episodes, more or less, are, are profiles of the children. I think six ish, we could call a profile of dad uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. But re- yeah. regardless, more or less, each episode for the bulk of the season focuses on one character's arc. Um, this one, we learn a whole lot about Liv, the mother yeah. whose story kind of drives much of the narrative of this family's experience Um, I'll start by just telling a fun anecdote Um, my wife was in the room for part of me watching this episode and it's specifically it's maybe about a third of the way in or maybe it's really early when she's in bed with um, Hugh with young Hugh telling the story of her nightmares and he kind of pacifies her a little bit yeah. So my wife looks up and she says, because I've got my headphones on, so she's not hearing anything. So she just looks up and sees what's on the screen. She says, why do you keep watching this? And uh-huh. I was really confused. And I was like, what What are you talking about? I've only seen this once before. And then she, it clicked with her and she was like, oh, is this Hill House? <laughs> she was like. She referenced Gerald's game. She said, oh, I, just, she thought- <laughs> I just keep, I just keep seeing the same woman laying
1: in a bed." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's hysterical. That yeah, it's like Flanagan has got this weird sort of like it's it's almost lost esque in its. These same people keep bumping into each other in different contexts, and you can imagine different parallel universes in which all of these different souls are just interacting with each other. It's. It, I appreciate it's kind of that
2: you brought up Lost this time, and it wasn't just me to do, so I appreciate that, brother. You're very um, Looking um, I'm gonna, out for you. I'm going to throw one nugget and then let you run a little bit. Uh, as we've done thus far, there the the red room is hiding right in plain sight liv tells kid luke i'll be yep. in my reading i'll be in my reading room he looks to nell kid nell and says which one is her reading room yep that's just one of those touches that's like you would never pick up on that the first time through um nope. and it's just so in plain sight kind of thing what are that's what are right. some thoughts you have about
1: episode 9 reed oh my gosh so um there's man i don't know where to start cuz there's i mean there's a couple of scares i'll i, I in terms of likes dislikes they're kind of heavier things, so I kind of want to end with them. I know that's a bit off format, but, like, I'll mention I'm a couple down. I'm of... I'm down with that.
2: I get I'm, it. I'm, I'm I'll with mention, you. <laughs>
1: I'll mention a couple of scares, just sort of cursory. Obviously, the vision that Liv has of the autopsy room, where she sees... I have totally the, forgotten that. I completely yeah, forgot. Yeah, that. Yeah, me too. And and how it connects to what the young twins yes. are telling Oh, her. my god! Good gosh. Lord, that is such an oppressive upsetting scene uh, which we've seen you know one version of that on the other side uh, when Steve saw her I think that was in episode 7 was it? I can't remember exactly what? where it was where Steve sees her talking to the you know it, it's not the twins but it is the twins you know oh where, young where, Steve young Steve yes yeah, where yeah, young yeah, Steve yeah. sees her talking to them but uh, yeah that scene is terribly upsetting I gotta say this time around I had a lot of appreciation for the poppy Character, You know, the yeah. 20s uh-huh. flapper ghost, you know, like the, the performer is really she's great. She's fantastic. And that, that clipped quick delivery yep. that does yep. feel not only otherworldly, but out of time, it yep. really is very impressive. And I don't know how much of that was an affectation just brought to the role by the performer and how much of it was Flanagan's specific intention and guiding it that way. But either way, it works so exceptionally well. She, that's a great character. That's a. I'll real ta- I'll
2: character. tag on to your Poppy moment there. Um, a- again, <laughs> you would never catch this without knowing the end of the series. She walks in to n- to Liv's reading room, which is we know having seen the end of it, the red room, and she says, "I love what you did with the room. It was a dressing room for me, and then a nursery." Yep.
1: That's yep. So
2: good. That's oh, so great.
1: Man, it's great. That's so great. Another like that I have, I just, uh, I mean, I, I like Mrs. Dudley's comment, her quote to live, where I just loved the phrasing of it. She says, the world out there has teeth, and it is hungry, and it is stupid, and it eats and eats mindlessly. It doesn't care that they're innocent. And I just thought that was a really haunting and, and powerful line, just a, will you, a great will scripting you, moment.
2: Will you let me contextualize that a little bit? Yeah,
1: please. Um, So... Uh, episode
2: nine. Um, I don't know if you had this experience. Um, my first time watching Hill house, I succumbed to the Netflix effect, meaning this sort of perceived, but totally falsely imposed need to kind of finish a thing, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. Oh,
2: it's all ten are here. Let me finish all ten in a stupid, no one should consume this much in one go without digesting (laughs) kind of frame, you know? Um, re-watching this the second or, or, or probably the last third of episode nine and probably the whole second half of episode 10 I just I just wept I don't uh, yeah. really do that that openly that often and without yeah. being pushed that hard sure, um sure but you're 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 throwing this moment at me and my wife it's <laughs> my poor wife she's probably like What are you doing to yourself? You know, like, like (laughs) enduring these things. Um, But I'm in bed during the scene between Liv and Dudley. And I, I invoke her character's name because I'm actually not trying to be satirical whatsoever of just how profound this moment was for me. This scene pinged for me the first time through when I watched the series, but I but because I wasn't giving it the attention it deserved, I didn't rest with it and marinate in it. Mm-hmm. Um I will I will say to you, m- my dear friend, if if I have a fear in the world, it is what the world is doing to our children, like oh, liter- yeah. Li- yeah. literally actively and actually, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Parkland survivors committing Mm -hmm. suicide, Um, whether it's my 10-year-old coming and just casually talking about lockdown drills. I think it is Mm -hmm. a really, really hard world out out there right now for them specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And this scene kind of encapsulates all of this and, and Liv says, if I think too long about the world out there, and then she trails off. And this is what gets me she says i always thought my job was getting them ready for the world but i don't know why i look at my little ones right now and just feel terror at them outside those walls yeah and then the line you referenced mrs dudley very forcefully and very assertively and really amazingly i will give kudos to annabeth gish here she says stand firm between the world out there and these little souls because the world out there has teeth, as you referenced, and it is hungry and stupid and eats and eats mindlessly. Doesn't care that they are innocent. You listen to your gut and hold the door. Mm. I mean, like, I'm typing this. I'm pausing it and making sure I'm catching all the words and typing it and just, like, weeping. Yeah. My, mom, my, my mom, my wife, <laughs> that's weird, weird, you know, uh, <laughs> Freudian slip there. Oh, um, boy. My wife touches my shoulder. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah i'm fine, oh, I'm fine. Just, my yeah, just go to bed don't <laughs> mind me you know um but no i mean it's 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 breathtaking um so i apologize i didn't mean to hijack your thing there but you no you're that fine. scene and you're i didn't fine. want to have to come back to it um i will say this one of the great reveals uh of this show um that's so it's inconsequential to the narrative and that's what makes it so wonderful that it's so intentionally done is Abigail being real. I yeah, love it. I yeah. love it. Um, her whole little tiny arc is maybe one of the most tragic things in this whole series. Oh, it's
1: like, it's gut-wrenching. It's, it's, it is It's terrible. so terrible. It's it is so terrible. terrible. But it's the restraint that Flanagan had, like holding that back, holding all of that back. Yeah, he didn't, he yeah. didn't overplay his hand. Abigail's just there amongst the rest of the ghost conversation. Right. So when it's revealed, oh no, she is a real child. And then, oh my gosh! And then, and then to then, ultimately
2: have her identity revealed too. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: man, that's that's something. Yeah, I, um, I completely
2: agree. I love the live telling Reyes about the whole. The, Reyes, I did it again. It's in my <laughs> notes that way. um Telling Dudley about the hailstone stuff is a really powerful scene. Yeah, oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this 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 episode. Now, the, the series as a whole up to now has done a good job giving service to this. But this episode really starts to ramp us up into revealing the competency of Flanagan as a writer. um, Mm -hmm. And just really some of these monologues, some of these rich, this rich character, inner life stuff that starts coming out is just really laid bare starting in this episode in a real profound way. Yeah. I've got one more. Okay. I've got a couple more. Uh, So
1: uh, I'll mention I loved the line. She, when Liv is about to take Abigail, Luke, and Nell into the red room oh, yeah, for yeah, a tea yeah. party, and then she says, "We are the key," like because they they've spent that whole episode or they've spent the whole series like not being able to find the key that unlocks right. it, and it's so subtle and profound, but really well, sort she, of obvious, you know?
2: Yeah, and she preempts it and says, "Do you want to know the secret?"
1: Oh, yeah, we are yeah. the key. We are the so key. Great. Oh so great. man, yeah, it's it's wonderful, and then obviously the tea party scene is. Is, wrenching. Oh, it's terrible. It's it's worse the second time through because I think the first time through I still wasn't quite gra- like I know Abigail's a real child, but I didn't have any context for it or anything. Sure. Having having all the context this time around I was like, "Oh my dear Lord." Like it is and I my note says, "Quote, dear God, help me with that tea party." Like that yeah. is it yeah. is so awful and horrific. This is and not this is not a Mrs. Nesbit tea party. No, uh no, 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 no. No. With Marie Antoinette and her little sister. Um, so, <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's amazing. So, uh, the, I, I don't know if yours would be the same as mine. I have one more, and it's a love. It's it's a gigantic this, the love. Final the final moment. The final. Oh my god. Oh my god. So I wrote down the moment. I wrote down the moment, which we'll share with listeners in just a second, but I wrote down the moment and that they end just like in letter after letter after letter. I just wrote, stop. I'm like, I just, yeah. it is, it is so powerful and devastating and heartbreaking and beautiful and awful and wonderful. And ugh, it is all of the stuff. It's, well, and
2: and before we even get to the dialogue, the brilliance of that moment, because if, I mean, gosh, at this point, I don't know how to entreat people to watch this more than we have, but you know, if you haven't, it it it's the penultimate sequence of this episode is recycling and recontextualizing uh, uh, a scene from the first episode, which is the family without Liv fleeing the house. So mm-hmm. they recontextualize that whole moment, which is actually their final night as a family in that home and, and really their final night as a family intact. Yes, um, it is. So, so they tail that or tag onto that their first moment they enter the home as a family, and it's just oh a really gosh. brilliant editing choice, you know. And and I'll, I'll let you do it. You can do it.
1: So the, so they're they're basically all the kids run in. They're finding their rooms. They're selecting their rooms. They're very excited about the house. And meanwhile, Liv is just sort of hanging around in the foyer watching everybody mill around and then they all run up the stairs to their various bedrooms and then uh hugh starts young hugh obviously starts making his way up the stairs and he looks back at her and she's standing there looking all lovely and and just you know standing with her arms on her hips and and she's just sort of surveying the scope of the house and he looks back at her and um and he's you know he's like are you coming and then she says up to him... Now, this is after we have seen... Well, I, don't know, I don't think we said this to the listeners. This is after we have witnessed her brutal and horrendous death, um, which, like Nell, was an accidental suicide. I call it an accidental suicide because the house basically tricked her into what was right. happening. Um, but uh, so we've seen her brutal death after this gut-wrenching emotional episode, and then when young Hugh says to her in this memory you coming and she says you guys go on without me and he says back to her how could we oh my god and that's the final line of the of the yeah. episode dear lord that's that that is such a gut punch of raw pure earned emotion that is just oh it's it's powerful and haunting and and brilliant it's awful and wonderful this yeah.
2: this series this series is such a fascinating like I, you know, I, it would be cool to somehow. You know, Flanagan's done a ton of interviews uh, around Hill House specifically, um, but one thing I don't see hit on often, really at all, is just the sequencing. You know, kind of like assembling the massive jigsaw puzzle, or rather, creating a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you've right, got this, right. you've got this narrative story, and then basically exploding that. You know, right, sen- right. sending pieces of story far afield this this scene connects to an episode five scene five um episodes down the line all right. this sort of stuff right. that touches and goes um that that has such a brilliant i mean that moment is kind of a mission statement for this family's experience you right know, y'all right. you guys go on without me how can we they can't they don't oh, they they gosh. Yeah. they break under the weight um oh, so of trying to do just that
1: so no i mean it's Uh, it's Uh, amazing it's amazing well dude yeah next week we're gonna get to unpack all of our myriad of thoughts about the whole scope of the show let's let's leave it there for right now and tune in next week where we we are going to dive into the final episode of the haunting of hill house and that will extend into the core of our episode where we unpack Uh, a myriad of things that the show makes us think about and feel and all of that different wonderful stuff. So tune in next week for the culmination of this uh, series of Hashtag TV Guideposts and uh, we'll cover The Haunting of Hill House next week, everybody. But Nathan. Read. Mostly right now, I want you to hush. Shh. That was a really cheesy, stupid joke and didn't land the way I wanted it to. But I'm going to leave it in because that's just that's just what it is. Um, no, so I mean are... it's it's offset a little bit by your naked lady joke from earlier. So you know. Okay. Yes, indeed. I have another one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um. So, uh,
2: <laughs> um, let me. So... Hey, let me throw something at you real quick. It's Flanagan related. It's it's so and it gets it bridges the gap into hush. But I think you'll find it interesting. So last week we did before I wake and. It occurred to me after the fact. I felt really dumb for not having done a little more research, but you referenced uh, before I wake, so I'm gonna I'm going to retroactively fill in a little gap here because it's it's we're in the middle of graph Flanagan and all know, right we're just discussing this stuff. So I want to do we're a what we're doing quick before I wake. Uh, bookmark here because you referenced the kind of murky. Clarity, you were trying to get on Before I Wake's uh, production, you know, kind yeah, of release I, and that sort yes, of stuff? Exactly, yes. Well, I did find an interesting story that he tells in an interview. Yes, it was a relativity film. They did go bankrupt, as you alluded to. So the film was in limbo for a number of years, um, but during that time, several international territories. This is just an interesting story about that film. Um, And this is all Flanagan's uh, words from an interview he did. So during that time, several international territories released the film. And then it became pirated. Oh. Yeah. And so I think, now this is me inserting thoughts here. I think what ultimately happened is maybe Flanagan had some sort of contract that he ultimately worked out with Netflix. And they just decided, hey, we'll go ahead and release it. Um, Sure. Yeah. As part of that experience, he says this has been a source of horrible frustration. It was heartbreaking. It damaged the film. It damaged not only the film's prospects on release, but made it harder for me to take the kind of narrative risks that Before I Wake takes. Interestingly, he actually doesn't like the title Before I Wake. That was a studio thing. It was originally called Somnia.
1: Oh, yes. I did find that out. Yes. Which would have been, following Absentia and Oculus, would have been his third film with like a Latin title. Well...
2: Which is interesting you say that because he references Absentia and Oculus and ultimately Before I Wake as connected pieces of meditations on grief and pain and how past pain impacts present action in Oculus. Anyway, um, so pirating movies, he says, I am making this a little uh, PSA here, pirating movies like this one. Only lower the perception of the film's performance. And that perception is the only thing that matters when people consider taking risks in the future. Mm. This is crazy, Reed. He says, I started having people contact me to share their thoughts about the film, and they had clearly pirated it. A A few were apologetic, but most were completely clueless as to why I'd be offended. I was shocked at how little consideration there is out there and how convinced some people are that they aren't doing anything wrong. I would try to explain the reasons why piracy hurts not just my industry, but this film and my livelihood. And people heard that, stated they'd never considered the real world consequences, while others shrugged and literally said, sorry, not sorry.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow. He
2: he said, my biggest takeaway from that experience is that there is a sense of entitlement in some people that is frightening. Unfortunately... Again, referencing Before I Wake here. Unfortunately, before Before I Wake, the fact it was leaked had absolutely hurt the film. It will, mm. this is an old interview, hurt the release, and it has accomplished what piracy accomplishes most, making it harder for me to make films like it. This was an independent mm. film, like all independent films, it lives and dies on how it performs. A lot of us deferred our pay to keep the film afloat. Each movie ticket we buy is not only financially supporting a film, but is also a vote. This is a democracy, and ticket receipts are our ballots. Every time someone downloads a movie illegally, they throw that vote away. We all get hurt by it. Buy your movie tickets or join the A list by AMC. See, you plugged um, you plugged yeah. um, you know Fox earlier and tried to get people to watch Orville. <laughs> I'm telling <laughs> people, hey, you think we have
1: sponsors. <laughs>
2: Don't pirate. Oh, I would no. if you're listening and you want to sponsor us, we'll happily <laughs> let you. Um, anyway, I just found that a really fascinating story. Um, sure, of course. you know, that kind of further contextualizes some of what we were talking about last week with Before I Wake. But I found that in an interview he was doing t- about Hush that coincided, oh, you know, okay, that they All were right. just h- filling in the gaps about Before I Wake as well. Sure,
1: sure, yeah, because it was the third, I mentioned this. In the Before I Wake episode, so in 2016 he made three films. He made Before I Wake, he made Hush, and he made Ouija: Origin of Evil, which, if you'll remember, Nathan, is a prequel to Oculus. So um, <laughs> that's a no. That's, that's an inside <laughs> joke, everybody. Um, so, but he he made those three films. And I mean of the 3 my favorite is the one where well I don't know man I was about to say my favorite is the one we're discussing today I think my favorite might be Before I Wake I mean I no not taking anything away from Hush but Before I Wake is is really moving and unique and and it's got some some specialty to it but um, but I think they're well, all very strong Don't pirate it. Don't pirate it. No no no. Well it's on Netflix everybody like go watch go it get it. Um, so Oh hey we should bro
2: I mean Yeah bro we should uh, – well, we shouldn't spend much time at all here, but you're 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 what you're watching from last week about Spielberg versus Netflix. Oh, yeah. I, then,
1: I dropped this whole Spielberg versus Netflix thing, and then who becomes the face of Apple streaming? Yeah, like, that's a oh little shady. Oh, my gosh. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, and that's the other funny thing about it is – it's like if he's I don't mind if he wants to like hook right, up right, with right. a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. like I don't mind that you know like there's no problem with that but the timing of it all is so Yeah. bizarre yeah. and suspect it's yeah. all very suspect like oh really you're you're out on this campaign trouncing Netflix for Oscar consideration and now we come to find out you are literally the face of the Apple streaming thing that is cuz do
2: you actually crazy. think Apple isn't interested in making feature films yes they right? absolutely are of
1: course of course they are now in fairness to Spielberg's argument they may also be planning theatrical distribution i mean that that is sure that is possible but i mean no 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 we're going to we're going to see how it plays out and i think it i think he now in at least that smaller subset debate, like you texted to me, uh, Spielberg got some splaining to do. He's he does. got he's got a little bit of uh. It, I think it I think it reduces the already shaky credibility he had oh, yes. oh, for yes. his argument against Netflix. And I I haven't scoured social media to sort of update since Spielberg has has made that announcement. But um, but yeah, I would imagine that people who are kind of on the fence are now a little bit like wait a second, like what's yeah. what's, what's behind That's de- this? What de- that is, is
2: definitely a major reaction to his oh, presence on the Apple Plus platform. Oh my gosh. Regardless. So, anyway. so that was Before I Wake. That was Steven Spielberg. We are <laughs> trying to land on Hush and I just keep diverting you. I'm sorry.
1: No, it's okay. So um, a couple of trivial bits about Hush. Hush was the first, uh, personal trivial bit, Hush was the first Mike Flanagan film I saw. And it was because I was so impressed with it that I then was like, "Oh, let me seek out some more of what Mike Flanagan's done, and then I saw Absentia and then I saw Oculus, and then it was all down the line after that. but um Hush was the very first Mike Flanagan film that I saw. Um, I immediately was very taken with it. I thought it was a fantastic sort of tight uh, suspense thriller. We'll get into all of that in just a little bit. but uh, a few trivial bits. so did you know I know you already knew that uh kate siegel and mike flanagan were married that they were a couple mm-hmm. but they actually conceived this film the idea of it came from a discussion they had <laughs> i didn't on... know i don't know where you were going you're like i, I know, know you right? know they're, they're a couple, married but they, they conceive... actually conceived this, <laughs> it's, this it's, film this still yeah that that gets weird so it's, it's, <laughs> he's the innuendo guy i'm just telling you um no wow. so since <laughs> so since... <laughs> <laughs> as he hangs his head, yep. Tom Dooley. So um, basically, the uh, the Siegel and Flanagan had talked about this film on a date that they had in 2014. They got married in 2016, but they basically came up with the idea for it on a date, and then, of course, she is credited as a co-writer. He and, and she are the writers of this film, and uh, I just think it's a... I, I find that really like emboldening that it's like oh yeah they just they came up with an idea and decided to go forward with it and they're a couple and it's just, it's all kinds of cutesy fun everything in this really grisly horror thriller because uh, the like the first version of
2: it it was called oh hush Wow,
1: <laughs> no, that's, oh, the, cute, that's the cutesy version. It was a meat. That's the that's the cute version with
2: a deaf writer and her murder boyfriend. You know, it's like it's how they it's how exactly. they meet. You know, no,
1: exactly, exactly. Um, I'm sure you saw the Stephen King books on the desk. I'm sure you saw them. Uh, I don't. I know you would have probably at least seen one of them. I freezed the frame so I could see all of them on the desk. But do you? Do you? Did you catch which? three I I caught Steven.
2: all of them but I want to test you and see if
1: you caught oh, all of them. Okay, I just, so I, just kidding. I, 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 didn't I was about them. to say like <laughs> <laughs> So um so the most prominent one because it's up at the front is Mr. Mercedes. But then a little bit tucked away is a copy of Revival and Under the Dome. So um cool. anyway, yeah, just hardcovers covers. All I have read all of Dome. those. Oh, so, see, there you go. Yeah. Uh the Under the Dome one is a paperback but the others are hard copy. Um the and I'm sh- obviously this is a, cause film I mean, about- to be frank, to be frank, if it
2: was, they, they couldn't include under the dome, the hard copy, because that's how she would have killed the guy. <laughs> she would have just so used just that massive thousand yes. pound thousand page book as her weapon of choice. <laughs> He's you know? like, Oh my that's God, what I would have no. reached for
1: <laughs> Stance tools kids. Okay. So, um, basically, <laughs> basically, yeah, you know, you get it. Cause she like killed him with books, you know, yeah. like it's, a- yeah, where words are weapons. It- this is weird, so <laughs> um, um, as uh, so we should we should express the premise of this film before we get into my next trivial bit and my last trivial bit. so the premise of this film is simply there is um, a young woman who uh, due to contracting meningitis when she was uh, i think in her teens, she had a couple of operations and went deaf and mute. She was not born that way, but in her early teens. Um, went deaf and mute. She is a successful writer and she has isolated herself in this sort of cabin to kind of, you know, write and be creative and everything like that. Well, then, one night, she is beset by a killer uh, whose motives are never explained in the film, but um, he's just a, a predatory figure. And because she is deaf, obviously there's constraints. She's mute. She can't really call 911 even if she wanted to. There's other constraints that happen in the film, but basically he is stalking her to to do violence to her, and that's the main sort of premise of this film. That is what it is. Woman who is deaf-mute beset by a maniac killer. There is less than 15 minutes of dialogue in the whole, like, 82-minute film. Just less than 15 minutes of spoken dialogue. Obviously, there's a little bit of, like, sign language and stuff like that, but there's even not that much of that. Um, So I just this is a really fascinating exercise in creative filmmaking I think just like hey how can we expand upon that premise how long can we sustain it how many different inventive ways can we make you care about this character and care about this scenario and um, yeah I think it's I think it's a really um, exciting and thrilling film and I think it's uh, I think everybody with everybody who can stomach the violence because there's some violence should should seek it out should see it um... what do you think about it
2: well, I've got a few bits, if you'd like. Oh, you got some bits. To hear them. Um, uh, to your point about the amount of dialogue, I think the script was only like 50 pages, uh, which is pretty out mm, of ordinary. Yeah. The only other one I found that was really fascinating is that um, Siegel and Flanagan intensely choreographed the blocking in their own home to write the script. Really? Well, well then... When they found their location, it was not like their home, so they basically had to rework the script
1: oh. to accommodate
2: the new layout of the location of the they place. were shooting at. Wow, so yeah, that's yeah.
1: interesting. Isn't that? I don't. You don't sound convinced. Um, it, wow, I don't. I don't. You I can just see play. my face. <laughs> I'm like, I get it if my tone is all like, right, you know, but like, <laughs> I mean, you can see, but you can see my face. Similar. You're like, well, wow, that's interesting. Oh yeah, that's so interesting. I <laughs> bet
2: you didn't freeze frame the screen to know what <laughs> Stephen King books were on the shelf. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all I got. That's all the bits I got.
1: Okay, well, those were good bits. Those, those were, those were effective bits. Um, just, just a couple. Well, what what likes dislikes do you have? Go ahead and
2: try for it. Can I give you kind of my my broad view, and so we can then dial in?
1: Yeah, of course. Okay, by all means.
2: Yeah. Um, I I've only seen it the one time. Okay. Um, I'm I'm just okay on it right now. Okay. Like yeah. I I, I there's stuff to like for sure when Hill House is your first Flanagan. <laughs> o- Oculus may have been my first Flanagan. I don't remember when we did Oculus compared to when Hill House released. It, Oculus was definitely before that. Yes, but Oculus is very supernatural and kind of tinged with this wackadoo kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas Hush is a much more straightforward, naturalistic kind of piece. But so my my Flanagan's pre Hush or my first foray into Flanagan was Oculus and then Hill House, which sets the bar really high. Um, yeah it does and then gerald's game which has the king (laughs) association it has great performances and a really inventive convention and then before i wake which which honestly i like a lot i don't love but i like a lot um but even it has much more kind of horror tropes and and in Mm -hmm. terms of the visuals and it's got this real kind of fairy tale so hush was a much more just like oh it's just kind of a Kind of a serial, not even serial killer really that we know of, but, you know, like just this kind of murderous, naturalistic, you know, yeah, isolated yeah. story. And so in that way, it did feel like a, a gear shift down for me in terms of my, you know, kind of expectation level. Um, I gotcha. Um, so so the, that kind of matters to the context of some of my likes and dislikes. But I will say this. I did not see the neighbor getting utterly skewered. As oh my god. The precipitating violence of the film. I did not you know, like Yes. that was that was intense. That was violent. <laughs> yeah. That's on my scares list. I'll just I'll mention oh, really? it here. Okay. That like, yeah, 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 the that like, yeah, just
1: her that that's the first moment that you see something is out of sync in this whole scenario and it's yeah, it's jarring. Very jarring. Uh it that's was That's not... Lee from Hill House, by the way. You knew that, right? Lee from Hill House. That's yeah that's steven's wife from yeah, like her I, I neighbor
2: i'm picking up on it but no i did not recognize her it was probably yeah. the stark red hair uh threw me off yeah. well wow, yeah. that's that's cool but, no but I, did yeah, not that's I didn't recognize her um although in hindsight yeah now i do now it does make sense to me um <clears throat> but i did not pick up on the first time through um it was fun seeing uh lieutenant anders from battlestar galactica show up in a random mid 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 movie fight scene uh that was actually a really good scene and and nice nice break in terms of what we've seen in the film thus thus far i liked that um a great moment that i loved was i called it a great action movie moment once he has snuck into the bathroom and the breathing on her that alerts her presence
1: oh yes that is
2: that is a really great moment Um, oh man it's phenomenal well, okay, well, let me, let me, um, I feel like I'm skirting around stuff here. I'll just tell you one of my big dislikes that just kind of flavors. Um, I, I actually enjoy the front, and I love the finale. Okay. The middle drags for me. Interesting. Um, okay. All right. I feel like the cat, the cat and mouse aspect got old to me. Um, Interesting. Okay. And hear me, like, I don't, I don't even mean this intensely. Like, it just, in the watching of it, I was like, okay, well, yep, you're going to try that and it doesn't work and try that and it doesn't work, try that and it doesn't work, which, hear me, that's like straightforward kind of storytelling. I'm not even bashing mm-hmm. that per se. Just in the watching of it, I got a little bit bored in the middle. Interesting, um, okay. So so that's a thing. I will throw this out and, and feel total freedom to push back on this because mainly I'm just voicing some thoughts of, of things I took away, not so much I'm going to draw a line in the sand on these things, but what I thought in the moment... Was a competent choice. Ultimately, I worry happens too soon, and that's revealing his face. I oh, think. Okay. I think something for me got lost there in the tension. Um,
1: Interesting. Well, his mask is freaky. I will say that. Yeah, and I mean, so, yeah,
2: when you're like that's on the marketing, you know. Yeah. Um, I just think that's a risk, and I'm not. I, I'm. I'm reflecting on a first viewing i'm not even saying it's not a risk that pays off if you really dig in on the film Um, for me the impulse of energy i got when he pulls off the mask kind of deflated after a little while i was like well i might would have liked a little more around the mystique of this human character yeah i don't know if that makes any sense at all no, um, it does,
1: and it may, and I can foresee a different choice in which he pulls it off to to show her his mm-hmm, face mm-hmm. and say you know say the taunting things that he says to her makes her read his lips and then just pulls it back down for the rest for the remainder of whatever like there's you know there's a world in which maybe that could have been part of his games with her is to to taunt her in that way. Um, but well, I I, guess, but I see what you're saying.
2: I guess what I'm alluding to, and and I've got another kind of bullet in the barrel uh here in a second um so th- you just made that reference like structurally there are a couple of things that kind of pinged as odd to me so okay. the value is this is this okay to have this conversation oh feel please like okay, yeah, okay. yeah yeah no um because it's not like explicitly scares of which i do have a list of them but um sure. it's more just my digesting the film um I didn't love I I love what his face reveal is meant to signify and that is he doesn't care that you know who he is. Okay, well right, that's big exactly, that, right, that's right, big yeah. and that's valuable. Um I think I just would have preferred maybe that come a little later so I can mm-hmm. kinda live with like the the scary factor of this masked scary mask uh sort of figure stalking her. Um, right. once once I see John Gallagher jr whom I've seen in other things and know is pretty you know pretty lovable um <laughs> you know like like once I see him and and it, it I don't know it's it I, I lost a little bit of that energy and that little scare factor when he right. lost the mask another thing that I want to throw at you my uh, uh, published writer friend um oh well, you know, because you encounter these sort of things, and I, I like to at least think I can write every now and then. And so sometimes structural things will strike me in films. And, you know, I don't have it, so I'm bouncing this idea off you really. Is I love the renewed energy uh, at probably the three fourths mark, maybe the two thirds mark, where she's troubling out.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's...
2: Her her means of escape what what she what can she do that really gives some some fuel to what Mm -hmm. I had felt was was starting to kind of weigh down a little bit
0: so I guess I
2: guess my question to you is how would you feel about this notion because I was I was trying to process okay I felt a little bored in the middle Um, part of it too is you know the scene when she finally starts right before she starts troubling this stuff out she escapes or so you think and then he bashes her brains in what oh, is really right. ultimately right, right, kind right. of this fantasy sequence that's one of that's really only the first sequence of its kind like it in the film you know what i mean right right and it comes so late i kind of wish because they lean into this sort of writer thing for her which is appropriate yeah, that's yeah. the character okay. mm-hmm. i guess that kind of stuff that starts to happen at the two thirds mark is pretty interesting and kind of cool and a nice convention on this character that I kind of wish we'd seen earlier. And so where I'm going with this is, you know, she posits these three ideas run, hide or wait, right? Yes. That she ultimately decides I can't do any of those things. So I got to kill him. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess, and and this is where I'm trying to build to, to throw at you. It would have been cool to me. To see moments earlier peppered throughout of those options and her playing out how those things would go.
1: Oh, I see. Like maybe in some of that part that was lagging for you, maybe you see different options yeah. where she's yeah. playing out those yes. scenarios because, so, that's su- yeah. because
2: that's such a that's such a deliberate convention, but it's used very late in the film.
1: Well, the one big thing that I would say is you were very galvanized by the moment. So again, it's all about yeah. this sort of alt world. Maybe it would, uh, um, well, sure. You know, maybe it would work this way or maybe it would work that way. But I do think flavoring it in earlier might dilute some of the power of when it comes. Cause I don't know about you, but when I, when, when you don't realize you're seeing a fantasy sequence and you think, what, did he just, is that how this film ends? He gets her and like bashes her head in. And that's the, I mean, did you think from the get go that that was a fantasy sequence?
2: Um, that's a, that's a very good question. I didn't know for certain it was a fantasy sequence. I knew for certain it wasn't real. I know that sounds like two weird statements to make. Okay. And that's, I think, I think you're scratching at exactly what, because I just sort of, because what little Flanagan, and I do know at that point, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't buying that it was real. So okay. all of a sudden I'm a little out on, okay, well, I know this. I don't think this is real and I'm right, not convinced kind of right. that it is. Well, so then you show me it's a fantasy sequence and we're playing this out. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. What That would have been cool to see. But anyway, so yeah, oh, that's I see. kind of where but my no, mind I do, went.
1: I do think that it would have been interesting to see a few of those scenarios because we're not let in to all of the different sort of mechanics of how she's planning what she's going to do next. We just watch her do it. And it would have been probably kind of fun to see her play out the, oh, I could you know dive over here or i could you know try this on the roof or i could try this other thing i mean yeah that those things are uh would have been kind of fun to play around with earlier in the film uh i don't i mean i don't disagree it didn't it, the, the middle for me did not lag so it's i'm i'm trying sure, to sure, sure. as as valid as i think your point is and i'm kind of trying to sort of jive with the exact quandary you're making um it's a little difficult for me because the the film as it presently is was pretty propulsive for me so i i didn't feel like it kind of lagged through the middle um so it's a little bit a little bit difficult for me to kind of shift the mindset and say well how would this have heightened it right right because one because one of my notes is i actually feel like it's pretty relentlessly suspenseful and i feel like some of the things she tries are practical believable things that someone might try and i'm actually really impressed that that they don't work you know like it's like she she throws that fire yeah, alarm flashlight. out. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah, the, yeah. Uh, But she throws, yeah, she throws that fire alarm out there and then goes for the phone that she knows is in her friend's back pocket. Like that's a smart, that's a smart thing to try to do. Like she's innovative right. and she's clever. And so that's a smart thing to try to do. And so, but it doesn't work. And sure. so that I, and so I kind of liked, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying and I can see how somebody might feel that that was a little repetitive or, or drug out a little bit because ultimately they are futile. And I think maybe that's part of it. I was appreciative of the fact that these efforts were sensible, but ultimately futile. And uh, maybe I could see another viewer, I'm not saying this was your experience, but I could see another viewer saying, why did you just show me a bunch of scenarios that didn't work and didn't further the story? Well, and
2: yeah, and I want to be fair there. Like, the whole nature of storytelling is having your character try to accomplish an objective, and whether they do or not determines the course of your story. So I'm sensitive to that, but... right. I think that what I'll refer to as that galvanizing moment of the immediately preceded by the fantasy sequence is is so electric, yeah. And and so I'll I'll hey listen like I'm not gonna ding Mike Flanagan here, but like it's so in that moment illustrative of knowing your character. Like yeah. we have a yeah. writer and let's utilize her skill sets as a writer, to try to get out of a situation. So, when it happened, it's like, oh, well, it might have been a little cooler. Again, this is just Nathan's take here. Uh, it might have been a little cooler to sort of... Because even structurally, she lists run, hide, wait, and then yeah, kill. right. Like, right. it would have been structurally interesting to see, okay, I'm gonna run. Okay, that doesn't work. I'm gonna hide. Like, being real intentional um, yeah. instead of saving such a big bullet for... um you know what is what is really just a stand okay, and that's what I'm saying. This is a long way of figuring out how to say this. It feels like a very standard cat and mouse until then.
1: Okay, and and, and that's fair. I understand to, that. to me
2: to me. Anyway, I feel like I'm crapping on your movie. and I'm sorry.
1: No, you don't have to feel bad for that. You you saw, you feel about the film the way you feel about it. That's fine. Um, I will say as and I think it's part of that. I don't know. I think it's maybe right before. That moment that you're referencing, I wrote down into my note just just how awesome and badass when she puts her finger in the blood on her leg and then writes her message on yeah. the glass yeah, yeah. to him, and because he's he's I forget what he says to her by before him is like I'm gonna kill you, you know. He's it's right. a very innocuous sort of threat, but you know he means it. He's like I'm gonna kill you, and then she writes. In her own blood on the window, do it, coward. I'm like, yeah, oh that my is great. Gosh, sure, that yeah. is awesome, you know. And and it's it's great because I think that is part of it. Because what has just happened for her is she has whoa, had her hand like that's stomped awful. on that's and awful. smashed and broken. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's it's dreadful. But then I like that moment is so energizing. I agree with you. Because while I feel like the film is pretty consistently suspenseful, there's a renewed vitality to that exchange. Like, right. he he smashes her hand. This is, like, the seventh thing she's tried to do to get out of this situation that has not worked. And so then, you know, he's just menacing and intimidating to her. And then that's the moment that inst- she obviously is hurt by her hand. She cradles her hand, and she's on the floor. But then stands up very emboldened and very sort of empowered and stares him down. Right. And that's when right. she writes... And, and the fact that she writes it in her own blood and everything sure. is just such a, like, chilling... Yeah. Like, oh, okay, you are not dealing with your standard. And I love... Good Lord, I love... She runs back to the computer and then that's types in... That's great. Oh, isn't that yeah. wonderful? Yeah, really And, like, that was really she great. types in to the computer a description of the guy as much as she kind of knows and can say in a moment while he very upset by what she wrote on the wind on the window is now trying to like break the glass to get into the window. Yeah, That's a good moment. And she wrote down, good Lord. I love it. She wrote down, love you, mom, dad, Max, Max is her sister. Love you, mom, dad, Max. And then she writes right below it died fighting. I was yeah, like, Oh awesome. my yeah, gosh, that's yeah. awesome. That is really fantastic. And I think that's maybe a lot of the lens of how I see it. The film as a whole is sort of through the lens of those moments, which I think sure. are very, very powerful. And uh, what my final sort of note on like dislike, you know, I was really, I was really surprised and very excited when John showed up. You know, John Goodman. And uh, he blew the killer away out of nowhere and threw him in a vat of acid. I mean, it was a really strange pivot. <laughs> right. It was a really weird pivot, but I, I never told you, expected John this. John Gallagher Jr. Yeah. is a sweetheart, you know? Yeah, it, you know, I just never expected this to be a Cloverfield movie. Right, so that's right. just, you know, like that, it's that was all connected. a surprise. All things yeah. serve the beam. <laughs> of course, I'm being facetious, everybody. John Goodman is not in this movie as much as I would love him to be in all movies, but he's not in this movie. That was just a joke because John Gallagher Jr. is in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Um, so... I've got some scares here, some of which we've already kind of mentioned. Um but to me, I don't know what scares you have, but the the three big ones that I have that have not been mentioned yet, number one in that is when Maddie's phone I'm putting air quotes that the listeners can't see, but when Maddie's phone starts sending pictures oh, of yeah. her to her. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is creepy. That is and great. that's how she that's how she first realizes that she's being stalked and right. it's oh man that is that is pretty freaky we already mentioned the hand it's pretty gruesome when like he uses her friend to knock on the window <laughs> oh that
2: was great That was
1: oh my god she uses the dead body of her awful friend. like oh man it's it's terrible. well what's
2: well what's great about that isn't just that he does that which is sure it's a great horror movie moment but it's that she's she's tucked under this window He's above it. You can see in the the light, the moonlight. Um, it's only oh. moonlight. Reading. It's only moonlight. It's only moonlight. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, the sh- The silhouette of what you think is him knocking on the window, and then the camera pans right. up, and he's just holding the dead body of her. Of, oh
1: my god!
2: Steve's wife. You know, and, and knocking on the window. Um, so that's <laughs> that is great. Um, I want to. Uh, you already mentioned the the hand crushing. I, man, we got to pour a cold one out for old Anders. Like, you yes. know, he went yes. down bad, and it's all yeah. her fault. It's all her fault. I know uh, that was rough. I mean, because he was—he
1: was, he I, was that's about a, to try to do something.
2: I will say, okay, and I think that's another thing too. Is like the cat and mouse bored me a little bit, but he shows up, and and kind of it's like, oh, how how is uh, old Gallagher Jr. going to wriggle out of this one? um because i mean they are clearly physically opposite Um oh yeah oh yeah and i i just love that whole sequence you know um sure i I jokingly refer to him as anders i think his name is john his name is john and yeah yeah. yeah. his name is john um so when john is sort of figuring out like okay something's really amiss here ultimately he starts to get the upper hand and, and suspects and realizes something is really bad and is about to take him out. Um, and then Maddie knocks on the, the glass door. He looks, John looks away and old Gallagher slices his throat. It's terrible. It's terrible.
1: Oh man. It's awful. And uh, did you get, well, I'm sure you did. Um, so then even still with his like, th- you know, jugular cut and sliced on the back and I think stabbed one other place he still manages to get old oh, John Gallagher Jr. in the yeah. headlock, you know, yeah, and great. after he finally succumbs to his wounds, which is really sad. You know, again, these are things that in other films might have worked, but they ultimately prove futile in this one. But then when the killer gets him and he's just in the in the script, he's just credited as the man. So he has no name. Uh, so that's why we keep calling him John Gallagher Jr. As if he's like, you know, uh, some sort of alternate entity. But um, when he gets the guy's hand from around his throat, he's like, yeah, I would have lost that fight. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> like, that's you know, great. like it was. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is pretty sad that who you think is going to really change the game of the film is not um, is not successful in it. But ultimately, it does need to be her that brings him down. Like for, sure. for oh, Satisfaction yeah, yeah, yeah. in the story. Yeah. It does need to be her that brings yes. him down.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, I'm I'm on board with you there.
1: Segwaying to that, uh, the scene where she is hiding away in the bathroom, and she's just, because she's deaf, so she's ready. She's got a knife bared and is ready for anybody that would try to come through that door, and she does not hear behind her that the window has been shattered and he has lowered himself into the bathtub behind her that I don't know about you but man like that is one of the more suspenseful moments that I've seen in any thriller in the last few years yeah, I mean it's, it's it's a good moment for sure yeah it's nervous. I feel
2: you you just made me think of this I feel like we are remiss as film fans to not have mentioned in trivial bits that actually this was inspired by wait until dark um, with, uh, oh yeah Pepper. yeah yeah
1: you I know, didn't know that it was inspired by that, but that's, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well,
2: interviews I saw, they def- they directly reference it. They yeah. reference it? Oh, um, that's great, yeah. A, a mutual affection for that film, so, um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely plays out. And, I mean, I think the whole, I don't know that I'd categorize it scary, but, you know, it, it is strong, a strong sequence. The final confrontation between the two of them is really good.
1: That is fantastic. Like, the back and forth, and you really... You really don't know how it's all going to resolve, particularly because she wrote "died fighting" on the thing, so you don't know right, where the story is right. going to ultimately land. But the back and forth of those blows and the upper hand exchanging in such rapid succession is is just really yeah, it's, a it's pretty, very. It's intense. a pretty
2: terrible death he succumbs to. That's awful. Ooh, the punctured esophagus. Ugh.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, I mean, well, he gets put through the ringer. A little bit, but deservedly so. And yes, it is It is a pretty violent... Like we said, it's. I think it's easily Flanagan's most violent film. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, I, mean, I've I think seen, yeah. there's some scarier things in other films, but this is the the more sort of viscerally violent um, tone for him. Than- so if you're used to the sort of sentiment and emotion of Before I Wake or The Haunting of Hill House or even Oculus or something like that, and then you, you go into this, and this is such a very straightforward, like gritty... It's not a slasher in the traditional sense, but it is you know sort of a violent slasher kind of uh, thriller. Than it's yeah it can be it, it feels a bit out of place with the rest of his filmography, but it it still carries the kind of tone and sensibilities to it that I really like a lot about him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you want to get into? I have I, I have one theme. It's actually more just sort of a line. But did you have did you have anything specific that you? Wanted to bring in for theme? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I I don't know how ro- robust you feel yours is. I actually was struggling a little bit initially because, like you just said, it's a very direct narrative. I mean, it's it's it very is. straightforward. Um, but something that Siegel said in an interview did kind of ping with me, and I, I you know, kind of wanted to to open the floor to questions.
1: Or, uh, <laughs> no, so submitted for your approval.
2: Uh, they did an interview with Bloody Disgusting, which is a website, and she referenced the film as a metaphor for feeling unheard. And I mean, which, which even itself is a little on the nose, if you will, but I think where it drove me was to just ponder. And, and again, it's a direct metaphor if you run with it, but like, the the voiceless in our culture um the you know in her language the the unheard are being preyed upon mm. um and i think it's just figure out who that is in in your estimation you know is it minorities is it uh women is it you know kind of kind of run with these ideas like and and those who are stalking the house preying on them and i guess it just kind of galvanized me to think about like it's our job maybe not so much to be a voice for those people necessarily like uh, maybe um as much as it might be to just empower them in finding their voice you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know so i mean there are places we could run with that but i don't know if if that resonates with you at all i know it's a very bare bones kind of idea
1: no, well, okay, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say a thing now, and it's it, it's funny because I'm I'm actually gonna I'm I'm attempting to yes and you here. It may sound initially like I'm just hijacking your theme for mine. No, but I'm, attempt, mean, I'm attempting to just do to a yes and freed, you here. You know, well, look, just, I got a big theme. Okay, I'm no, kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, in in all sincerity, like, so you talk about, and I had not heard that interview where she said right. it's like a metaphor for the the unheard and the voiceless. But I did clue in on the line and and honestly I didn't have a lot of unpacking to do. I just I wrote down the line and wanted to explore it a little bit. The line that she says to Max when she's on the FaceTime with her her sister, she says, Isolation happened to me. I didn't pick it. And mm, that yeah, really yeah. that really stood out to me. Um, it's one of the more because again, there's only fifteen line, fifteen minutes of dialogue in this entire film, so there's not a lot of actual, ex, you know, exchange. So in that brief exchange, I really clued in on that. And when you're talking about this unheard thing, that line really sort of stands out. Like isolation happens to people. Like there, right. are, there are people who kind of find themselves in a trapped pocket, unable to really break through. And I and What's interesting about her saying, you know, isolation happened to me. I didn't pick it. I think in the context of the film, she's very specifically referring to her condition Yeah, that she was born hearing and able to speak. And, and then because of this meningitis and because of a couple of complications during the operations to hopefully correct that, uh, things went the other way. And now she, now she has no voice and she cannot hear. And, It did stand out to me, this notion of through really no fault of their own, her own, and then again stretching the metaphor out of certain people's own and people groups' own, you know, it's not their fault. Isolation just kind of happens to them. Subversion just kind of happens to them. Uh, Oppression and subjugation just kind of happens to them. They don't pick it. Uh, I do think that there's a way in which people can isolate themselves seclude themselves and sort of be their own worst enemy is it all as as you might put it but there are definitely people to whom like they they don't choose to be in the station that they're in this just sort of happens to them and as you point out this film in a very i won't call it on the nose but in a very direct way is exemplifying the ways in which they are susceptible to people who would want to basically you know, intimidate them, do harm to them for their own sport and amusement. That's the only reason right. we have for why this character is doing this thing is for his own amusement or satisfaction in some degree. And so for reasons completely unexplained, she is now she has not done anything to prompt his coming after her. He's just found easy prey. And is going after it. And I do think that there is a way in which so many subgroups in our society have found themselves, through no fault of their own, and through no cause that they're responsible for, the victims of stalking, intimidating predators, if you want to call it that. And I do think there is... There is something that is a responsibility for us, and I think there's ways the film can say both things. There's a responsibility for us to speak up for them and sort of fight for them, um, but then also, as we've mentioned in other films, we talked about it a little bit in Gerald's Game, they they have to kind of come to a place to where they can, I guess I would say, find an ending, uh, as it were, and they've got to land on... How they're going to respond to the isolation that they did not themselves select for themselves, but they find themselves isolated, and now they've got to basically choose an ending. Are they going to run? Are they going to hide? Are they going to wait? Are they going to fight? Are they sure. going to fight back? Sure. And, uh, and, yeah, again, it's I don't know how much well, conversation let's, well, can
2: be ex- no, I mean, I, extrapolated. But. Let's, let's run with that a little bit. I mean, I guess, you know... I, I don't think I'm actually as good at this as I like to play out on the podcast, not because I don't want to be, but the podcast actually gives me these conversations, give me opportunity for reflection and, and, and sort of uh, meditation in a way that sometimes I don't permit myself in the normal day to day. But like, to me, I want to be cognizant of like, okay, these thematic ideas we pull out of these films, like how, what, what do they matter in terms of practical, usage or or like right you know how what do we do with these things and and i guess you know i'd kind of i would kind of posit to you you know what does this make you think of in terms of like i guess i'll sort of i'll sort of preface this way and then we can move into maybe some practical ideas or not even just practical ideas like let's list and make a let's make a list of the things we're going to do but like <laughs> how, how right. we can practically figure out are there ways to tether this to our everyday life but if we're looking at the notion of the unheard or the unseen or the voiceless in our society, man, if you pay close enough attention, it can feel like there's there's so many people after them. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, trying to exploit yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. it can get debilitating to, to to even know where to focus your energy, you know? Right. I had a. I went on a little, you know. I referenced two weeks ago two movies. I referenced a week ago two other movies. Those were born of a weekend excursion with a buddy and a conversation that happened on that trip. Was he bless his heart? I felt a little bad because this is a friend who had given me some some insight, and he he was politically minded long before the two thousand sixteen election. And so when I got title waved by the by my desire to sort suddenly give a damn he was able to help me like filter and process and be like, Hey, you know, right. (laughs) Like, uh, kind of, kind of live in some of that tension. Well, poor guy. I mean, he, it felt like the, the roles were reversed on this trip. He was, you know, kind of confessing some, some despondency over kind of the state of things. And I was trying to share just some practical notions of, you know, for me personally of like, you know you can't drink from the fire hydrant for one, uh, yeah. whatever kind of thing that looks like to you. You have to mediate your consumption um, yeah. because there well, are there are too many oppressors, and so that's that's a thing. You you do have to, I think. Well, I'll, I'll couch it this way: I have chosen you know to recognize a you can't drink from the hydrant. B there is a burden. I have chosen to put upon myself of like, okay, what is the experience of those traditionally and currently oppressed? You know, like I need to educate myself Mm -hmm. so that I can, and like, and hear me, I'm not even like in class or anything. I'm just trying to pay attention to more diverse voices than I have historically to kind of comprehend and and figure out and that in in that in that comprehension in that paying attention to then pivot to okay well what does protecting oppressed what does empowering the voiceless look like and 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 sometimes sometimes i i get tripped up there and that's unfortunate and and disheartening sometimes doesn't mean you stop there but like Anyway, I'm just I'm just kind of freestyling, but this is this this sure, is the stuff. Sure. This stuff makes me think of of like because I um, I reject actively, assertively, aggressively the notion that um, I won't say this so derisively, but like I feel like a lot of the church uh, of the last hundred years of uh, the last fifty years, especially uh, lives this very me and God kind of life um mm-hmm. very it it is it is it is me and God that's it. We give lip service and we even give a few bucks to missions and, and and that makes us feel good right right but and and that sounds real cynical I actually don't mean it that way, but like there has been something abandoned like mm. like willfully like we like we walked away from whatever tools we might have started utilizing at some point uh the, you know the it's, it's like if you can picture a, an image of a farm or a field and there's these tools that are useful but yeah. it's all overgrown um mm. because we 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 if we ever did and i don't know cuz i you know my view isn't that wide but it feels like often we let everyone to their own designs not thinking thinking that Okay, well, that is just how it's meant to be. Like, okay, well, Reed, you, you're going to do your thing, and, and I'm going to do my thing, and we're going to help each other out occasionally if we need to, if we have to, especially if we have to, uh, we'll right, help each other right. out. But, you know, there there are no systemic forces that are arrayed against you at all. Go do your thing. It's all about personal responsibility. Responsible, responsible, responsible. Go do it. You're going to make it happen. If you don't, it's because you didn't do it well enough or you didn't pray hard enough. Or, you know, if someone dies from cancer in your, in your family, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. man. It sucks. But hey, do you. Rapture's coming. Here we go. Whee, we're gone. You know, like, that mm-hmm. is in microcosm, how it can feel sometimes. And
1: right. Right.
2: And especially for a movie that I'm actually slightly ambivalent on, I feel very passionately about this idea of like, there is a shepherding, there is a partnering with, there is an entering into the plight of the unheard. And, and that is represented in where our dollars go. Sure. You know, and having some intentionality there you know, finding, finding companies that do more than just the average every day or whose right. dollars ultimately don't go to things that oppress other people. Like sure. there's, there's a okay. the, there's a whole laundry list. And so the, I'm kind of freestyle and I apologize. I keep trying to hand the baton to you, um, no, but you're, you're, you're just fine. this, just this notion that plagues me. Like if something keeps me up at night, it's I'm not doing enough. And that, yeah. Can get debilitating and, and paralyzing because the need is so great.
1: Yeah, sure.
2: And kind of knowing how to focus and knowing where to put energy can be challenging sometimes. So what what are you thinking, Reed? No,
1: <laughs> no, it really can be, but I think at the, now I'm not actually pushing back against anything that you're saying. Sounds
2: um, like you might
1: be. I'm just kidding. No, no. I mean, like, but I will say at the same notion. We we should try to do more, but doing everything I think is not practical either. Sure, like like you know fixing fixing the entire and I think that's why further education and further conversation is so vital. We are talking about the unheard, and we're talking about the voiceless. Well, I mean, I don't have the chapter and verse right in front of me, but the scripture says, "Let him who has ears to hear, let them hear," and. We we who maybe would consider ourselves more in a class of the heard or the voiced, if you want to designate that, I think there is a responsibility that we can carry of saying, hey, we have two ears. We will listen. You, you who have uh, no voice, we will listen. I feel like a lot of times what happens is it's easy to simply go about the normal and natural rhythms of our day-to-day existence, and then when something arises that says like, hey, there's actually a condition here that uh, we need to be privy to and need to be cognizant of, of this people group that's being subverted, I'm wishing that I had, and I I don't in in my pocket, (laughs) Uh, I'm wishing that I had a tangible example that I could point to to cite what this looks like in the real. Sure, um, right. I don't have an example in my pocket, so I'm going to try to not be too vague. When you see an opportunity to listen to someone whose experience is other than yours, mm-hmm. listen. Right. Maybe it's just that simple. I mean, to be honest with you, like I, I feel like if I bring anything, because I've, I've struggled with allyship, and am I doing enough, and, and I, I can't do everything. And I'll be honest with you that sometimes on my Facebook feed or my Twitter feed or wherever it is. And I'm seeing like, Oh my good Lord, this subset of friends is really mad about this and they don't want me to go here anymore. And they don't want me to do that anymore and then this subset of friends are really upset about this and they don't want me to do this anymore and they don't want me to just like, uh, you know, uh, all of these different things that they just don't want to have happen anymore and I had this experience actually just uh, maybe a week or so ago where I was scrolling through like a social media feed and had that active response where I was like, I can't keep up guys, like I can't do everything, like I'm like uh, you don't want me to go here you don't want me to give money to this you don't want me to participate in this, you don't want me to talk like this And, and so so you begin to feel or I began to feel overwhelmed with all of the things and that can make you feel cynical and that can make you feel like all of your attempts at trying to be an authentic ally are futile because right. you won't you won't win every battle. You won't fight everything and let, you know, bringing it back into hush before one more point that I'm trying to make is, you know, there are times where you're trying to do practical, sensible, logical things and it just doesn't work like you you just don't get out. Uh, obviously, her situation is she's trying to escape from this stalking, murderous, violent individual. But she tries to do some sensible things, and it doesn't work. And I think there are ways in which we can become very weary in doing good because, oh yeah, well I I tried to show some support in this area, and it didn't go far enough. And because it didn't go far enough, I feel like the whole thing was just a waste. I feel like the whole thing was just, I'm still trapped in the middle of this Uh, conundrum or this quandary i'm never going to be like the enough of an advocate i'm never going to be enough of an ally but i think where we can start where we can all begin is simply by listening to the perspective of somebody beyond us ultimately we will still have our perspectives for which we are responsible but i think part of that responsibility is recognizing and i've i've used this kind of language on the show before where i was like I should always maintain my awareness that I am. I come from a certain degree of privilege because I'm white. I'm a man. I'm middle class. There are certain advantages that I had in the scope of my your, life and well. Your dad
2: be. was a Pentecostal preacher. I mean, that nets you he, so much. He was God's favor. That's for one. Well, that's that's debatable. <laughs> no, just, no,
1: but but no. Uh, sincerely, though. The more that I can be aware that I come from a certain degree of privilege, then it can keep me humble when I'm listening to somebody whose experience was vastly different from mine. And then I suddenly don't get—like, it's really interesting to me, I've come over the years to recognize when a minority speaks out to something or when they, when they try to give voice to some of the struggles and the conditions that they're up against, it's really interesting to just sort of observe— who wants things to be more balanced or nuanced or or right. who 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 is combating this or you know calling it like reverse racism or calling it reverse sexism or or all of these other kinds of things and it's 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 been fascinating and I'm still kind of in a learning uh, paradigm for this but it's been fascinating for me to observe that those kinds of responses to the voiceless to the unheard uh, when they try to speak and when they try to get you to listen and it is it, I don't know it's really interesting because it is so comfortable and easy to sit in the privilege and, and to not feel compelled to do more or to try to hear more and, and a lot of times what I'm basically trying to say a lot of times where I land is I just try to keep my ears open I try to make sure that when somebody is speaking, I receive it, I listen to it. I know somebody might hear that and say, "Like, well, yeah, but you've got to take action as well. You've got to do something about it. That's fair. That's right. That's true. But again, le- leaning back on the other thing, I, c- I can't do everything. I can do right, what's in right. my nexus to do. I can do what is in my uh, my purview to to control and to influence, and I should try to do something there. But uh, it can be intimidating when you feel compelled to, like, fix the whole thing and never have a wrong idea and never... There was something that a mutual friend of ours... Gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. There was something that a mutual friend of ours shared, and it was basically... It was a person of color who was advocating for saying, like, hey, you're you're going to get it wrong. Like you can be an ally. Right, right. And you're still going to say a wrong thing. You're still going to hold a wrong view. You're still going to stumble into something that you weren't aware of before. And it's important to stay, you know, open to right. that level of continued education. And I found it very encouraging to, sure. to hear that, sure. you know. It's like it's not condemning of like, hey, get it all right, right now, and don't ever say anything bad or racist or offensive again. I was like, well, that's not really possible. Not only is it not practical, it's not possible. But we can have open hearts and open ears to say, okay, I, I will listen to the voiceless. Uh, I will listen when somebody is trying to raise their hand and s- trying to speak up so that to those people, again, bringing it back to Hush, mm-hmm. so that those people for whom isolation happened to them, they didn't pick it and right. they're in, right. they're sort of beset by a threat that maybe we have a capacity to to assist or to do something about, uh, then maybe we maybe we can help them because it's not only up to them to choose an ending, it's also up to us. It's not up to them to pick their ultimate resolution and what they're gonna fight for or run or hide or wait or whatever. It's also up to us to choose the ending that we're gonna participate in and I think that is, you know, it might be a bit of a stretch for what the film ultimately is after, but I do think it's there, and I think it's something we should latch on to. Hmm. Word?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's they're just places, I mean, I have more questions than answers, Reed, in life. I
1: understand. That, um, that I can relate to.
2: I, I think there's wisdom in what you're describing of open heartedness open you know receptivity i mean that's been my or at least what i've attempted to have as a personal journey these last years of like you know there's so much there's such a broader uh there's such a diversity of experience in the world that that I, i shouldn't we we are so prone to consider the experiences of ourselves as as the experience that ought be um, right, right and, and 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 hear me, like that's not like an intentional thing we set out to do necessarily. that's it's very much an indoctrination thing. we're just you know we're we're only human brother, man. we're just <laughs> we're mean, so self-centered but I think what where I and I'll, I guess I'll throw this out and then you know we can pivot towards an ending uh, of our choosing. Um, <laughs> I guess I just have this constant push pull of like you know I, I am grateful for this podcast because it gives gives me a bit of a ventilation of of some of these precise feelings that I'm sort of circling around right now but like right so so as a very tangible thing this seems super odd but but it's part of this like right now if you go look at my social media stuff relatively I'm I'm kind of quiet mm. uh Kind of, someone will be like, "Oh, look, look at these things you're saying." Okay, no, well, I understand. Kind of, you know, for me, historically, mm-hmm. and yet there are moments. And hear me: social media is not like this magic forum that is is where you are supposed to express yourself. I don't mean that per se, but we've we've adopted it as such, so it can sometimes feel like that is the the key magic forum to express yourself. Um, right. But I guess my wrestling is always like, okay, well how much do you speak out and and how forcefully and how assertively do you speak out and I'll go through these seasons where I'm like well you know what just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little mum which is kind of the moment I'm describing right now and like but then my wife who's awesome she sends me this uh, she sends me this quote of Brian Stevenson whom I love and this quote man it says Somebody has to stand when other people are sitting. Somebody has to speak when other people are quiet. Mm. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: then I just want to explode and be like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's everything. I'm you just going like, to say everything. I know. I no, know. I mean, this yeah. is the wrestling that happens to me. And then I read the book. Like, there's a book I read late last year, uh, a Walter Brueggemann book, called, and I chose it because of the stupid title. It's not stupid. That's ironic. Um, the, the title is Interrupting Silence. The, mm-hmm. the the subheading is God's command to speak out.
0: Yeah, and I'm like,
2: right. well, ah, mm-hmm. ah, yeah. I've got a lot of stuff I can vomit out in the world. It's just you know, yeah. it's just trying to, of course, not wanting just speaking things to be the sum total of your, you know, that sort of em, emboldening the voiceless idea. And then, are you just right. one more voice? Oh my gosh, I I just.
1: Hey, Reed. Well, uh, well listen. Are, look. Yeah. Look, I'm here. Look My what, ears are open. In the in the context of the film, and it's it's right there in the first thing that that listeners will encounter when they encounter this film. I, I think the title is significant. It's it, they they're the threat wants you to hush, or the you know you mm-hmm. feel the need mm-hmm. to to hush so that you don't. You know, alert the threat so that you don't, you know, invite the threat. All so of that now you're of making stuff. me want to go get my megaphone and stand on top Is of a roof, right? It wants you to, it wants you to hush, and I think that's why that whole sequence that we keep referencing, where you know she draws in there, you know, like if you're going to come at me, do it, coward, and right. and then when she decides I'm not going to run, I'm not going to hide, I'm not going to just wait. I'm going to, I'm we're, going we're not to, encouraging
2: you to kill people. Okay, everybody, but no, to fight.
1: but <laughs> to fight, you know, and she, and, and that's why I think one of a multitude of reasons why we love so much when she types that into the computer died fighting. Right. You know, it's, it's like that. It's just, it's really powerful. And, you know, the, it, again, it's in there in the title of the film that these, these oppressions want you to hush. But I do, th- and I do think there is wisdom. I think we must all seek the wisdom of the Lord. And of time and of uh, we we must seek wisdom to know when to speak and when right. to listen. Right, you know. And I think uh, you know the Bible also encourages us to you know be slow to speak and um, and to listen. But I do think there comes a time where we must speak out. Where when the voices want you to just hush and be quiet and be silent, that you do stand up, that you do speak out. And and there's a time for the hush to basically end and cease. And, uh, and I do think it is a complicated navigation, but I do think it is a possible navigation to find out when to speak up and when to be, when to be silent and listen. And, uh, and you just—we're not going to—I want to say—I want to speak some encouragement to anybody who would be hearing this and wants to do better and be better and think better and be a better ally— um obviously you know learn from me little white guy whatever but i mean <laughs> i mean you know i'm not trying to mansplain as the other terminology goes but i will say that i think it is it is encouraging to me to remember that i'm not going to get everything right but there's effort in th- there's value in the trying to get mm-hmm. it right that there's value in the continually trying to learn And to get and to do better and to get better. Um, There is value in that. There shouldn't be, in my opinion, any condemnation on somebody who stumbles into it incorrectly. Uh, And I think that's one area where, you know, the social media or the social conversation tends to get it wrong. We expect everybody to have it correct right out the gate, and we don't, and we won't. Um, But we should invite dialogue and we should invite receptivity and we should invite conversation and 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 all of that sort of thing
2: well and I, th- I do think there's some an interesting dichotomy to draw here like you made a good distinction there or, or sort of a good note about the title of the film that oppressors want your silence and I yes. think I, I was kind of you know kind of Scanning in my mind or my spirit just this notion of of scripturally speaking uh, uh uh spiritually speaking sort of mystically speaking there's so much of a call towards proclamation mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. towards towards the joyful noise towards the shout um towards right. the trumpet sounding like this 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 proclaiming notion and that when silence is uh sort of encouraged or or even insisted upon that that silence is one of wisdom seeking that silence mm-hmm. is one of god mm-hmm. seeking you know it's it's not it's not an oppressive hushing it is a it right. is a, it is an intentional meditation uh so right. that so that you are clear spirited in your proclamation you know what i mean like I, oh absolutely i, don't know. I think that's yes. really really interesting I, I actually think this movie is just okay but i do like this conversation <laughs> no no i get it
1: i get it and and i think that i think the film does you know obviously if if i mean the thrust of our show if horror provides any sort of opportunity then it provides an opportunity for metaphors that might appear to be very superficial and very casual and don't get me wrong this film is not a cerebral film it's right. not It's not trying to entice a ton of ideas in you. I think it really is just trying to thrill you and have a a scary 80 minutes that it puts you through. And I think it succeeds at that. Um, But there is something subtextual to it. It can provide a good metaphor for recognizing, like, yeah, there there are besetting forces surrounding people for whom isolation was not their choice. And, uh, there are ways in which we need to be emboldened to speak out on their behalf and to give ear to their voice when they, when they try to find it and when they try to speak it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's all there in the film. Let's do it.
2: You ready to go to the five right. meter?
1: Let's let's do it. We've been talking a while. Let's go over to the fog meter, a very specific metric by which we sort of rate and recommend or not these films that we cover. Um so we cover it based on fear and god as the title of our uh podcast suggests. So, uh Nathan, I will start with the fear factor of sure. uh, of this film. Uh on a scale of 1 to 10, I mean I do find this film very suspenseful. It did not really ever lag for me, and particularly the last third is kind of galvanizing. So I'm I'm going to go six and a half on the fear meter. Okay.
2: Um, I do find that last quarter of the film to be really strong. I, I think ultimately, what did you say? Six and a half? Six and a half, um, yeah. Three. If we're doing halvesies, I'm probably going to go four and a half.
1: Four and a half?
2: Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, as far as the god stuff goes like I, I I think the film is very direct um I don't think there's a whole lot intentionally interwoven into it um but I, I don't think there's nothing there so you know I would say in terms of just the substance factor I'm gonna land at a a four
1: okay all right yeah'm I'm, I'm kind of there with you I think the substance is where the film, there is something there, but I think you you probably have to reach for it a little bit. I' I'm, act- I'm actually gonna go three. I like this film a lot, but but I think it's something that is, uh, yeah, again, you you kind of have to stretch for it just a little bit. And that means that on the fog meter, we give hush by Mike Flanagan. A 4.5 out of 10, which sounds like a low rating. I recognize that, but again, the fog meter's brutal. Um, so, yes, we give it a 4.5 out of 10, but the real pertinent question, the question you've all been dying to hear from us, and you probably already guess our answers, Nathan Rouse, would you recommend Hush to people who might want to see it or might be interested in the premise?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's entertaining. I think I set myself up a little bit with just how much I enjoy, how how strongly I enjoy what I do enjoy of Flanagan's and this is gotcha. very yes. very different. E- even with some of my kind of structural hang-ups, I do think it's very competent and, and pretty compelling. So, yeah, I'd recommend gotcha. it.
1: Gotcha, yeah. Um, with the small asterisk that people who are sensitive to violence might not enjoy this film very much. I, I also recommend it. I think it's a really compelling premise. It's a great thriller, and I think if you if you enjoy the premise or if you enjoy just straightforward suspense pieces, you're going to find a lot to like here. Um, again, particularly towards the ending and a few times throughout, it's pretty violent. But other than that, it is, uh, it is a pretty easy recommendation for me. So this was our, our penultimate it was installment in hashtag Flannel graph Flanagan. Next week, everybody, as we've already mentioned to you, we are there. We are going back. We have got our cans full of gasoline. Oh my gosh! We have got Woo. the keys to the red room. We are. We, heading hey, no no no,
2: Reed, We are the key to the red room. Buddy. We are the
1: key to the red room. Next week, uh, we are going to have a full extended conversation about the haunting. Of Hill House, the show that we've been following, the show that you've been following, the show that most of the world has been catching up with uh, or was catching up with back in October. So join us next week for that. Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you, uh, brother. About Hush. I appreciate it. Yeah, no
2: problem. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Hush and Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways. On Twitter, at The Fear of God. On Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. Follow Reed on Twitter, at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, at the Nathan Rouse. Email us at Podcast at gmail.com or visit more than one to comment on the official episode posts and lastly if you listen to us through iTunes we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review thank you for listening we'll see you next week
0: soon, you a tune. Hush-a-bye, hush-a-bye. oh my darling, don't you cry angels up above, take care of the Bye everybody!